welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for baseball teams. Team Builder is used by 11 organizations in Major League Baseball. Baseball coaches from travel to college teams can write training programs or choose from pre-designed training programs built by professional baseball strength coaches, all for as low as $50 per month. Personally, we used Team Builder when I was coaching at Western Illinois University. It's very user-friendly and streamlines all of your programming. It also makes training sessions on or off campus easier to access for your athletes. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code ABCA to receive four free baseball-specific strength and conditioning training programs directly into your account. In just one click, you can set your team up with a professionally designed strength training program delivered to every player's mobile app every single day. You can reach out to Hewitt Tomlin over at Team Builder on Twitter at T-E-A-M B-U-I-L-D-R, or on their website at www.teambuilder.com or via phone at 240-528-7848 and let Hewitt know that the ABCA sent you. And now on to the ABCA podcast. Our next guest on the ABCA podcast is Lauren Johnson. Lauren is the mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. She also has experience working at the IMG Academy, where she got to work with Justin Sua. Collegiately, she worked with Sacramento State Baseball and Point Loma Nazarene Soccer. She got into the mental skills profession by starting her own consulting company, LA Mental Performance. Lauren played soccer collegiately for San Francisco and Point Loma. In this episode, we discuss how to help players that are dealing with injuries stay engaged, helping with triggers to get unstuck, how getting turned down for a job with the Army was the best thing that happened to her, staying away from the trap of what-ifs, her work with the Yankees and IMG, and when, as a coach, you should discuss with your players about when to see a mental health professional. Let's welcome Lauren to the podcast. Here with Lauren Johnson, New York Yankees mental conditioning coach, uh, played soccer at San Francisco and Point Loma as well. And Lauren, thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for having me. Yep. Who were some of your mentors early on uh, that allowed you to get into peak performance? Um, Dr. Sarah Castillo, she's the head of my uh, master's program at National University. She was so incredible and in just helping me make connections um, early on. And I ended up getting the chance to work at IMG Academy. And so everyone I worked at IMG Academy with um, became a mentor to me, including some of my interns. So I was in my master's degree there and I had like, I had only taken a couple classes and there were people with their PhDs working on PhDs, you know, incredible. And I'm like, these are my interns I'm with, like my fellow interns. So they kind of became my mentors too. But just to name a couple of them, I'd say um, probably Justin Sua and Josh Lifrak, Angus Mugford, kind of all those guys. I was going to ask you, that was later in my questions. What were the biggest things you learned at IMG? Oh man, <laughs> the list is so lengthy. But I think the biggest thing I took away from it was learning how to translate textbook material 
into relatable, impactful sessions for my clients because it's super easy to understand theory. Theory, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily easy, but understanding theory is one thing. Applying that to a human is another. And I will never forget Justin Sue told me this at IMG. He said, Lauren, we teach people, not lessons. If you want to teach a lesson, pull out a textbook, go ahead, create it from your textbook. If you want to teach people, you have to teach them with relatable stories, things that touch them emotionally. And so that's kind of where I really learned how to develop content and or developed content creation in a way that was like so relatable and, uh, and impactful. Were there any things theory wise that you read? You're like, okay, that sounds great. And then when you tried to, some real world applications with it did not work. Yeah. I can't think of like necessarily one in specific that I can like think of maybe like positive and negative thinking is like a very common one for me. Cause I call it productive thinking. Sometimes positivity is not always the answer. Um, but also what we do know is negativity is detrimental. So there's two sides to this. Um, but I'd, I'd say, I, I always say that theories are great, but not everyone fits into them because we're dealing with humans. And like we had said earlier before the call, all humans are different. It's Every all gray spot. area. It is all exactly. gray area. So you have to be willing to work in the gray area. Yep. So when did the light bulb go on? You know, cause I think there's a lot of people out there that probably are like, okay, I want to be a mental skills coach and I really want to do this. When did the light bulb go on for you that, okay, this is something that I, I really want to do and I'm passionate about. I think it was, it was definitely my senior year of college. I was getting my degree in kinesiology. I wanted to be a physical therapist originally. Um, and I, it was third game into my senior year. I got, I received my fifth concussion and I was told by my neurologists, it's not safe for you to play anymore. And so, although I was still part of the team in which practices, I did have a little bit of extra time on my hands. So I decided to take an elective course and I signed up for sports psychology just for fun. And I was the only person who signed up for the class and, um, I fell in love with it. And I think what made me fall in love with it was because I was the athlete that needed it. And so I related so much and I thought, man, what would my playing career have looked like if I would have known these things? And then I thought, well, if I have all this knowledge base and this would have been so impactful for me, how can I give back? How can I continue to like serve my team, you know, serve other athletes? And that became like a passion for me is helping athletes. And I think that's why I liked physical therapy because I liked I liked my relationship with my client. A lot of my clients I worked with were injured athletes. So we talked about how it felt to feel like you were kind of being held back. And we talked about what it was going to be like to get back. And without knowing it, I was teaching some of these principles. Um, and I was like, wait a second, this is what I should be doing. And so that's why I went on to get my master's. What were what are some of the skills? Because you deal with this as a coach with, with people being injured. What are some of the skill sets that you try to explain to players when they are down to stay engaged, even if they're injured. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is being adaptable um, because I think it's super easy. Like we can spend a lot of time tripping over the past and the injury. And if I could have avoided it, why it happened, it should have happened. It shouldn't have happened. But the point is, is it did. And so the first thing is accepting our, the place that we're in currently, and then being able to look it in the face and going, okay, what am I going to do about it? And that comes with knowing what you can control. You can't control the fact that that ha it's done. It's over with. You can't go back there. You can exist there in your mind, but that's not going to do anything except create more anxiety. And then you can, you can go through all of the what ifs and well, what if I don't get back and I'm not the same? What if I don't do this? But all that's going to do 
is creates a, a lot of fear in the future where we don't even know if that's true. And the cool thing that I always say is that if the what if of it, you not coming back is an equal possibility if what if you came back stronger? And so what kind of vision can we create for you? What will you want? What do you want to be looking? What do you want to look like when you get out there? And so there's a lot of tools that you can use. I start with kind of a vision, a direction, a goal. And then we kind of bring it back to, okay, what does that look like daily? What are the small daily things I can do right now that will start moving the needle towards where I want to go? And there are things that we can do, whether it's, you know, focusing on the physical, physical therapy, whether it's focusing on some visualization, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there's lots of things then that we can kind of fit in to those, uh, to those spaces that will help move the needle forward. I always try to give them more responsibilities, you know, if, if they, especially if they're an everyday player, maybe do an extra chart or, you know, extra field work, whatever, just to, to allow them to feel like they're still being productive with the team and try to give them a little bit of extra love, like to try to be the best teammate that they can be, even though they're down. Cause you did fall into that. Sometimes you would forget about them and you don't want that to happen, man. You don't want them to feel like you forgot about them either. So I did try to give them a little bit of extra love at times, but it, it's hard when you're down, man. I was not, I was lucky that I never really had to go through anything other than some, some dings and some nicks here, but nothing serious that, that kept me out for a while. To, I probably took that for granted as a player that as a coach, I, I realized that I was fortunate that I didn't really get hurt at all when I was playing. Well, and I do think too, like as a coach, the best thing you can do is empower them because the best kind of leadership is servant leadership. And man, let me tell you, like when you are injured, there is no better time to serve others than when you are down. Because I, I remember like when I was younger and I would be upset about something, my mom's like, when you're upset, pour into others, when you're hurting, pour into others. And it's so true because the fulfillment that you get when you give um, is important. And there's no more difficult time to give when you are struggling. And when you're struggling, it does give you some, it does impact you as well as others. I would tell guys that too, even if they were struggling performance wise, like try to throw yourself into your teammates or what's going on in the game, like, you know, and, and not fake, but really try to throw some positive energy out on the field. Even if it's, you're, you're not playing well that day, It'll try to get you through maybe some of those tough times that you've had. If you're in a slump, then really try to be the best teammate you can be and throw some positive energy out there because it will come back to you. I'm a big believer in karma. I do feel like positive things come back to you. Well, and don't you think, too, that there's something to say for having the perspective of being on the bench? You can see the field different. You can learn different. And so just because you don't have the perspective of being in the game, there is a benefit. You can still get something from a perspective of being on the bench. And I remember last year we had uh, one of our pitchers, you know, he's, you know, is in AAA doing really, really well and he was injured. And I went out there, it was during spring training and um, a couple of our major league guys were pitching and he was sitting out there. And after a couple innings, pitchers can leave, they can excuse themselves and go home. And I, he's the only one sitting in the stands. And I go and I sent Exxon, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, how often do you get to sit behind the plate of a major league guy and learn from them and see what they're going to throw in certain counts and see how they manage certain pitches and certain situations and certain hitters. And he goes, there's no better time to learn than right now. I can't play. And I was like, so impressed by him because it is such a different perspective that you can gain from, you know, no different than watching it on TV. You can learn so much when you can see it from a different exactly. perspective. And taking advantage of that is another, another thing you can do. 
And I love following you on Twitter. And for anybody that doesn't have your Twitter Twitter handle, it's at underscore uh, Lauren Johnson underscore. Um, and so I'm just going to rifle through some things here off of Twitter. But mentally tough people aren't more talented. Uh, they are just more consistent. What does that mean to you? They do the daily things that people are unwilling to do. It's not always fun. It's not always exciting. It's oftentimes mundane. It's oftentimes boring. It's boring. But they are willing to repeat it longer than anyone else. You know, I think you saw that with the the last dance with MJ. You know, I think people that don't know him with the younger generation, he's just a great example of showing up every day. Even if he didn't feel good, even if he was a little bit banged up, he still showed up every day. This is a recent yeah. one, the, the Teddy Roosevelt man in the, the arena quote. And, I, you know, I always equate that to Brene Brown with Darren Greatly and um, oh, Gifts yeah. of Imperfection. I actually had a player uh, two years ago, really good arm, but was so focused on being perfect that I made him read Gifts of Imper- Imperfection. And he he thanked me like he he went out, he bought it on Amazon. I was like, I really think you'll get a lot out of this book. And I didn't want to direct him at all. And he he bought it and he called me, sent me the picture of it and called me and texted me. He goes, coach, he goes, this is the best book I've ever read. I'm like, well, I recommended it to you for a reason. Like I didn't think every, (laughs) but it it did help him. Like his outings were better after that because he he did stop beating himself up over one bad pitch here and there. And so I I do love that quote, but can you talk a little bit more about that quote? Yeah. um, It means a lot to me. Um, And my husband as well. My husband's a professional golfer kind of working his way out. We're all athletics here in his household, but you know, I think it's, it's not easy to take, to take a difficult path, especially like becoming a professional baseball player. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times my husband has heard it and our players have heard it where people go, Hey, when are you going to get a real job? They're like, this is my real job. And it's super easy to, to have an opinion when you're not involved. And it's super easy to make judgments when you're not in the arena with the person. And one of the things actually Brene Brown said about this is she goes, if you're not in the arena with me, I don't care to know your opinion. And it meant a lot to me, especially getting to where I am in MLB. And I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but even getting the opportunity with the Yankees, I can't tell you how many people were like, what? You want to work in baseball? Why? You never even played softball, but you're a female. You actually think these men are going to listen to you. Like you can't change the culture. You're not. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I even had one person go, wow, you think you're going to be successful without a PhD? I was like, you know, it's, it's interesting what people are willing to say when they're not in it. And to me, it almost fueled me to show them, oh, well, you'll see. Because again, I wasn't afraid of hearing no. And so when I developed my own company to kind of get an opportunity with a major league team and build my resume, I can't tell you how many people told me no, or they're not interested or just never even replied back. But to me, every no was one step closer to a yes. And so I didn't look at it like, oh, I keep getting rejected. They keep getting rejected. I said, every rejection is leading me towards a yes, towards an acceptance. And then I got to work with um, Sacramento State Baseball. And then I got to work with Walbeck Baseball Academy. And I started to get all these baseball clients. And then I couldn't keep up with them. And suddenly I got the opportunity with the Yankees. And it was my, I was willing to try, fail, and learn. I think 
and be in that uncomfortable situation longer than, than others. And not, there's certainly, there are plenty of people like me out there, but I think that it's, again, it's so easy to look from the outside and see a failure and go, oh, well, why are you, why are you continuing? Well, that's because to me, a failure isn't a failure. To me, a failure is learning what works by learning what doesn't. And so that really narrows down my vision to go, okay, well, that didn't work. That's okay. And once you get over a few of those, the feeling's no different. And I start to get like, okay, that wasn't great. Of course, nobody wants to fail, but thank goodness I did that because otherwise I wouldn't have known. Exactly. And I love so really you. That, I love that, that you to me. consider the source. I love that quote, consider the source because you run into a lot with coaching is there's so much information out there. Twitter, Instagram, you can find so much information, but you do have to consider the source of where it's coming from because it, if you listen to everybody and what they tell you, and we've had racial injustice episodes the last two weeks, what are some of the gender biases that you run into? Because you know, you've talked about people saying things freely to you. I do think that's a gender biases thing with a male-female thing. And I think that males feel like they can say whatever they want to females whenever, whether it's right or wrong. And I just think there's, there's some gender biases out there with a male-dominated profession especially. And for anybody listening, don't feel bad. In 22 years of coaching, I've, I've got 50 to 60 rejection letters on jobs. We all run to it. But I think you run into some gender biases too. So you know, what were some of the toughest things that you had to go through with a male dominated, uh, sport. Um, well, I'll first say that any, any of that I've ran into, to me, I look at it as an opportunity to educate because some of it, uh, to be honest, I, at least in my, in my experience, and I think I'm lucky, I haven't experienced a ton that I think is, comes from a negative place. I think it comes from an, a very uneducated place. And so to me, it's always an opportunity to educate. Um, however, I also have been very lucky because I have not been able, I mean, I work with the best group of human beings at the Yankees and there is no greater group of men that I would rather work with. I came into a really great culture. Um, my director, Chad Bowling, my associate director, Chris Passarella, and then Hector Gonzalez, they were working there at the time when I got hired and they just thought of everything. They thought of, oh wait, they don't make female clothes. Hey, went to our went to our clubby. Is there any way we can get some female cut like t-shirts for Lauren? Hey, she can't go in the locker room. Let me go in and make sure everybody's dressed before we have a meeting in the locker room so that she can go in the locker room. And so they thought of just these little things that I wouldn't have thought of because I hadn't worked in pro ball yet. But um, I think actually when I came in, uh, they would, didn't know what to do with me <laughs> more than I, like, I was very comfortable and they were like, oh gosh, what can I say? I had coaches, some of my favorite coaches to this day, they walked in my office like, what's my boundary of what I can say and what I can <laughs> And I, we had a hilarious, great conversation. And those people I'm still in close conversations with and they're like, I hope this isn't I'm not offending you. I just want to make sure I am operating within your boundaries. And I'm like, wow, that is an incredible human. You don't have to do that. Yes. And because I felt like I'm entering your world, I needed to adjust. And every single one of them were willing to adjust to me in some way. And it was just a very clear partnership. Now, one of the things I think is important for, you know, women that are interested in getting in this field 
is there is that balance between um between you know you got to give you got to give them crap back yes because you know they they're they're guys and in that world even if you're a guy they're gonna walk all over if you don't stand up for yourself for sure so that's that's not a gender bias thing that's just a culture like yes it is thing and so you've got to be ready to stand up for yourself and i have like we i started giving it back to them immediately and it became this great friendship so in terms of that i think it's been incredible i never once i remember in my interview with uh, chad and chris you know i asked them i asked them what do you think about having hiring a girl and because i just wanted to know like what are your thoughts i was the only female interviewed and so i was like i want to know like what what are your concerns and they're like honestly we don't really have any but it isn't because maybe there aren't any there it's just that this is a new process for us so educate us so we did have, I mean, it was a great, a great working relationship. So I have to say that I think I've been very lucky in that, but people from the outside, the, the critics that aren't in the arena, those are the people I heard that stuff from. For and sure. like I said, I think it's an opportunity to educate. Um, and if they're not willing to take it, that's not, I, I can't control that. That's, that's on their terms. However, I'm going to, my response is going to be one that is welcoming <laughs> and one that is educational in nature while also creating like this is my boundary and if yes. you cross it i'm gonna let you know but this like let kind of working within that because i don't think people change their mind if you yell like no, I don't no think chance people, i've never the, i've never heard anybody the walls go up side. the walls go up right if you go if you just like get after them so my approach is i first try to like you know come from an understanding place and educate and after that like then i might just move on but, for sure but yeah, that's that's kind of what I'd say about that. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I, I did want to get into it. I'm glad we touched base on it. And Rachel Balkovic and I talked about that a while ago. She was on, and she's with the Yankees as well. And um, she's awesome. She, yeah, just great people. Um, and I know people in the organization. It is a great. It's a great group of people. And again, it doesn't matter what you look like, gender, if you're good, you're good. And, uh, there's value for everybody, no matter what you look like. And, um, if you're good, you're good. And, uh, it might take a little work to get there, but if you're good, people are going to see that and they're going to want to work with you regardless of, of what your situation is. It's exactly true. And she's a great example of that because she came in and she was the first female coach and she wasn't she wasn't afraid of throwing herself in the fire. She wasn't afraid of failing in front of others. And there's nothing more you can say about that except that is so respectable. Yes. And she's earned the respect of everybody. And she does an incredible job. So she's a great example of that. Um, let's get back to the mental side here. Sometimes the best adjustment we can adjustment we can make is to simply be present, more present now. Um, what are some tools that you recommend to the players that you work with to be more present now? Um, so one of the things that I always say is that our, our mind is the only thing that can exist in the past, the present and the future. And when we are existing too far in the past and we're tripping over the things and the mistakes that we've made and the errors that happened, or we are, you know, going way too far into the future, you know, ruminating about the what ifs, what would this mean for the future? Can I even do this? And letting kind of those things creep in, we are really unable to focus on the task in front of us in the present. So it, it really inhibits our ability to be effective in the present. And so uh, there's a couple things, there's a couple grounding techniques that we can use, but one really quick and easy one is name one thing you hear, one thing you see, and go through all of the senses. 
And so when you go through all those senses, then you've immediately grounded yourself in the present because you can't, you, you know, you can't breathe in the future. You can't breathe in the past. You can breathe right now. You can't taste in the future. You can't taste in the past. You can taste right now. And so all of those senses, as we do that, it really grounds ourselves back in the present moment. And then we can redirect ourselves into what we want to focus on now. So the first thing I do in the morning is part of my meditation. My transcendental meditation is I do the five senses first to get into mm -hmm. the present. It's kind of a gateway into TM is to focus on the five senses separately, but then also try to blend all five senses together. So that's kind of my gateway into the meditation that I do, which has been very helpful, very helpful to, yeah. to get to the place where I need to get to. I love that you talked about letting go. Um, I think every person holds on to things too long. Um, what, what are some tools for letting go? I always talk about redirecting. Uh, we talk about refocus, but what are some tools to, to let things go and also figure out if you even need to let things go? I think the first is awareness. Um, one of the things that people ask is, you know, how do I get unstuck? And I was like, I think the first thing is knowing what is kind of keeping you stuck. It's kind of like the inverse of that. Um, and so I think first it's, it's being aware of what is that thing that you're holding on to that is potentially weighing you down, that is holding you back. And actually I posted today some like eight questions to help get you started. And one of the questions was, you know, if you couldn't fail, what would you do? So what is the thing that you would want to do? And the second question is what is holding you back from doing it? What is the thing that is getting in the way? Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's past failure. Sometimes it's other people, the opinions of others. Um, sometimes it's uncertainty. There's a lot of different things, but I think first it's identifying what that thing is. And then it's developing very small steps to get there. I think what we do a lot of times, um, it, it, it can become detrimental. So we take on too much too soon and it becomes really overwhelming. And what happens is when we can't meet that expectation that might be unrealistic for the long term, um, we get disappointed, we get discouraged and we end up kind of dropping off. And so we don't need to start with something big. We can start with something really small. And so I call it zooming in or zooming out. And so sometimes, you know, when we're overwhelmed by the thing right in front of us, it's hard to see past like the things in front of us. It's hard to see past the clouds. It's too, it's foggy. We can't see the big picture. So sometimes we need to zoom out and look at the big picture of it all. Is this failure really that big of a deal? No, you're developing right now. We are, it's not detrimental. It could be a good thing in the long run. And then sometimes we need that short-term focus. We're be thinking too big picture. We're like, oh my gosh, it is so, there's so many steps to get there. How am I going to do this? And so sometimes then we need to really zoom in on what we're doing right now. And so I said, sometimes you're going to need, you're going to need a long-term vision. Other nights you're, you're going to need a short-term focus. And so when we're looking at things and letting go, I'd say first it's awareness and the benefit of holding on to it and the benefit of letting go from it. And then two, it's kind of developing either looking at the long-term picture and getting out of the moment that we're in, or we're really zooming in onto some things that we can do right now that are going to start to move the needle forward. With coaches out there that are dealing with players that their default is to complain, gripe, make excuses, um, what are some ways that they can help switch that default to going to complaining griping and making excuses. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. You mentioned this. I talked to a group of um, high school soccer players yesterday. And um, I think that there's, I always say like, okay, when you get a new iPhone, you know, what does it look like? 
they're like, you know, you get your like home app, you have like the, you know, your phone app, you got all like the basic apps. And I said, okay, do you keep it that way? And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, hold up your phones. And I'm looking at all the apps that they have. And I mean, they're going through like pages and pages and I'm like, Hey, send me the good ones, you know? But I said, your brain, our brains are no different than a brand new iPhone. We all have these default settings. And unfortunately we have evolved as humans, but one of the things we, that hasn't evolved is this survival instinct. And it's really, really good when we're in, a, like when we're, we're being threatened. But a lot of times now, because we don't have the same threats that we used to have, um, our brain looks at things as a threat that really aren't. And so what happens is it's, our brain starts to look for anything that can become a threat. And so the a lot lizard of things brain. Are, that's what the yeah, lizard like brain. The negatives, right? We look at the negatives. We look at the potential fears. We look at all these kinds of things that aren't actual threats, but our brain responds to them like that. And so there's nothing wrong with negative thoughts. There's nothing wrong with identifying things that could potentially be fearful or potentially hold us back. But number one, you do not have to believe your negative thoughts. Number two, just because you think a thought doesn't make it true. Exactly. And it, the goal isn't necessarily to change our negative thoughts, but to change our response to them. And so a lot of people think, oh, we just got to rid, we got to fix ourselves and make sure we don't have these negative thoughts. No, you're not. There's nothing wrong with you for having them, but we can control our response to them. And so sure, you're having this negative thought, but are you attaching to them or are you, um, or are you moving on from it? And so I kind of like to use this analogy of our thoughts are kind of like cars in a freeway. And imagine you're standing on the side and you're just watching them. And we have to be very careful which car we choose to jump in because whichever car we jump in takes us to a different destination. And so instead of being a passenger, I'd rather you be an observer. Watch as your car drives in and drives out. Watch as your thought comes in and comes out. We don't always have to be a passenger. We can always be an observer. And so that's one of the things we can do with our negative thoughts because we're not resisting the thought. We are going with the thought. We're just choosing our response to it, which is not attaching to it, but just acknowledging it. With coaches that are dealing with players, how do we make that distinction between performance-based and then maybe a mental health issue where they may need to go see a professional how, how can coaches make that distinct, distinction? I know they're hard at times, but are there some signs to look for maybe for coaches out there uh, when they're dealing with their players that, okay, they, they may need to go reach out to a mental health professional? Yeah, I would say um, if you're noticing withdrawing and um, low energy, a lot of times like negative thoughts and negative kind of persisting uh, beliefs, um, it is connected a lot with depression. Yeah. And so one of the things would be kind of noticing like a withdrawal, not a high, lot of energy, um, kind of lethargic and um, almost just like, you know, not at the same level. And most coaches that are around their players all the time, they can kind of tell the difference between simply being frustrated for a moment um, and it lasting long-term. So those are some of the signs I would look for. Um, and then you can always like, you know, uh, we are trained to notice these things. And so we, I do not do any clinical work. None of us do on our staff. Um, we refer everything out to a, a clinical psychologist. And so, but we are the first line of defense. And so our players do come to us and then we can recognize, okay, this seems a little bit more clinical in nature. 
we're going to refer out and then we can work with our, with that psychologist on like a good plan and how we can help um, support them when they're at our facilities and then when they go to their appointment. So I would say too, if you have any questions, you know, reach out to like a mental coach or reach out to, or obviously you can always reach out to a psychologist. They're going to tell, you can tell them exactly what's happening and they're going to be able to tell you, oh, this sounds like this or no. No, it doesn't sound like that. It's actually just sounds like a simple, quick, you know, quick fix or, or a, a difficult time. Seemed like the last three or four years, I was walking a few more guys to the counseling center at Western Illinois just to reach out. We, you know, every college campus is going to have counseling professionals, um, you know, high school. I'm not sure how much they're trained in that um but at least you could walk them there and and let your players know that there are resources out there i just i think the therapy side is great from uh, being able to get things off your chest uh when you need to that maybe you don't want to tell a parent a coach or or your friends and things that you don't want to talk about um i think that that's part of a male dominated culture as well as i think it's hard for males to to speak openly and freely about things that are bothering them, which can become debilitating for them at times. Yeah. And I remember I had a, I had a player a couple years ago who, um, was suffering from an injury and it was interesting because he had been out for a while. And according to kind of the records, he should be recovering like pretty well and be able to get back in. And he kept complaining of certain symptoms and I was a little, I don't know, skeptical of it. And so I asked him to come in my office and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And, you know, he kind of explained a couple things. And I said, um, I said, is it really those symptoms or are you using those symptoms to get out of this? Because the real symptom is not just like depression. And he just broke down and he's like, I said, I said, I'm not trying to, this is just me having a conversation with you share as little or as much as you want, but I said, to me, it doesn't, it seems like you're lying, but I said, it seems like you're lying because there's lying is less of a consequence than having to go out and face it. And he just broke down and he's like, you are a hundred percent right. Like I am terrified to get out there again. And I was like, I completely can understand that. And so we worked through a lot and then I helped him get a clinical psych too. But, um, but yeah, it's the good thing I think is that it's becoming more of a norm. Yes, I, I hope so. I do hope so. And he actually told me I came to you because Kevin Love was on TV. I saw his video. Um, Inc. put his interview out um, and him talking about it. I mean, at the height of his career, he has to take himself out of a game because he has panic attacks. And um, I think it's more prevalent than what people actually think about or know. I just think it's more prevalent. And hopefully people continue to, to start to keep the conversation going with it as well. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. You know, you talked about Jake, um, your husband, and what are the differences between golf and baseball? Are the routines similar? Um, you know, and how much, how many conversations are you guys having with this? I know you do this for a living, but I know if, if I would, did this for a living, my wife was a professional athlete. We're having zero conversations about any of this. Zero. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Um, so it was really, really funny when I first, uh, when we first started like seriously dating, he actually wanted me to work with him and I refused. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I was like, it's, there's a reason there's like this bias where you're not supposed to work with people you're close to. But I said, if you want to talk about something, you have to bring it up. 
because it's super, I don't watch sports the same way other people do. I watch it from a mental perspective. And so for me, I like, I could, I could go all day with like, oh, I think you should work on this. I think this, and I'm like, I know that doesn't work. It wouldn't work for me if it, the roles were reversed. Exactly. So we kind of have established, uh, he's worked with some people that I know cause I hooked him up with some other people, but he is so interested in the mental game Love it. that it has been so much fun. I'll read a book and he will grab it on audible and he'll be like, Lauren, I want to talk to you about this. So it becomes a conversation. So I don't coach him. That's for sure. But we talk about the mental game so often and he has become such a proponent of it that he educates himself on the daily and he absolutely loves it. So uh, it's it's been good, but trust me, um, there's been a couple of times where it's gotten a little dicey where he's asked me a question and he didn't like my response. And I was like, this is why I think it's fine. Uh, that's yeah. da- that's daily. We, we're not in the mental aspects, but my wife says things to me daily that I don't like, but that's just part of being married. That's exactly. That's life. <laughs> hey, Tiger Woods had the 10-step rule. Does he have anything like that? You know, Tiger Woods used the 10-step rule. He's He can ruminate about his last shot for 10 steps, but after that, he's done with. Um, does Jake have anything like that that he uses on to get to his next shot? You know, that's a really great question. I know he does like he, he definitely puts a limit, a boundary around his um, frustrations. I I can't tell you exactly what he does, but I know what I do with some of my golf clients is it's when you put the club back in the bag. Yes, Perfect. That's a great one. It's like you put the club back in, you can hold that club the entire freaking fairway if you want, but the moment you put that club back in the bag and you pull out the next one, we're moving on. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but yeah, putting a boundary around your emotions is so it's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to lose your cool. Exactly. I, you know, we would, we would do that. You know, we'd talk about the cycle of success with hitters and pitchers hitters. It was as soon as the bat was back in the rack and their helmet and glove was off. Like we had that. And I think all coaches go through that. If somebody's struggling, you want to talk to them. And that may be the last thing an athlete wants you to do is talk to them so I at least knew that once all their stuff was off, that they were letting it go. But I told them, like, you can hold on to it as long as you want. Like, if we got to go play defense, then, yeah, you got to figure it out. But as long as your stuff was still on, we weren't going to have any of those conversations. Um, I think that's a hard thing for coaches. Are, what are you recommending for, from a release standpoint um, with, with pitchers and position players? Um, with pitchers, a lot of my pitchers really like focal points. Um, and stepping off, like stepping out of the box, stepping off the, off the rubber, uh, both of those are kind of really good ways to kind of step out of the moment and then get back in. It's kind of like, um, crap. Why did her name just blank? Oh, golfer. Um, anyway, you might know this. And she talks about the think block box and the play box. Annika Sornstam, uh, think box and play box. And so the think box is when you step out and then the play box is when you, is, is when you're standing over your tee shot. And so it's really creating again, a good boundary, a good, um, a good strategy and structure to the mental side. You know, we have a very good strategy and structure to our physical. And so I think the mental side is creating these boundaries around the mental side, because a lot of times we kind of let it run wild and, um, and sometimes that's just fine, but sometimes it can get the best of us. So creating those boundaries are really great. And I, I talked about the last dance and, um, I wrote this down cause it's interesting for me. We always talk about intrinsic motivation, but if you look at Michael Jordan, he, he used extrinsic motivation very well, maybe not healthy. Uh, I honestly use my dad and brother at times as extrinsic motivation to get myself going. Is that okay? Is it okay to use factors like that to get yourself going? And what's kind of the, 
I know we'd like everything to become intrinsically, but is it okay to use external factors like that to get yourself going? Heck yeah. <laughs> I Absolutely. Love you, if you don't think our guys aren't extrinsically motivated by winning the World Series, you are crazy. Absolutely, it's okay. I think the difference is when, and that's exclusively the only reason why we do something. Because the outside factors, we are human beings that are, are moved by emotions. And so when we can emotionally attach to why we do what we do, we can get to the core values of why we want to win the World Series. That's way more powerful than the World Series by itself. But to say that we are not extrinsically motivated in any way, I think is a big fat lie. And so I think that it's a great thing that alone I can see some issues with long term. But when, man, with, paired with the intrinsic motivation, big time. Yep, for sure. You know, this is a great, again, great information age. Um, why aren't people more resilient than what they are right now with as much information as we have out there readily available? I love this question. I'm really glad you asked it. They aren't willing to be uncomfortable. Plain and simple. They avoid discomfort. They don't lean into it. They run from difficult. They don't go seek it. To me, the absolute best of the best, they don't run from discomfort, they lean into it. They don't view a difficult situation as bad, they view it as a challenge, and they are constantly looking to get that better, they are never satisfied. And we talked about that, people don't like confrontation, and even if that's confrontation within themselves. Hey, what's your definition of a competitor? I think a good definition of a competitor is the same definition I would say of somebody who is confident. I think true confidence is not, I know I can win, but it's, I'll be fine if I don't. And so I think a competitor is not willing or is willing to put themselves out there, is willing to put it all on the line, knowing that there's no true guarantee of success. And I think that kind of keeps them on the edge of their toes. I always felt like it was somebody that kind of like Michael Jordan. If you're sick, if you're, you know you're dinged up, you still try to get the best out of what you got that day. You know, whatever whatever you have that day, get the most out of what you got that day. It may be like twenty five percent. Your mm -hmm. gas tank may be on empty. Try to get as much out of that empty as you got in the tank. Well, and I don't you think too. I mean, our definition of success at the Yankees. Or of, of mental toughness, I apologize, is being your best regardless of circumstance. Yes. Yep. I because think that's a great player, definition of it, regardless of the are, circumstances. Right? They aren't known. The best players aren't known for changing their circumstances, but for their ability to be their best regardless of them. Like you said, Michael Jordan being sick and, you know, several other Adaptability. Examples. They have great adaptability. They can adapt to any situation. Because mental toughness doesn't make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. And right there, like being willing to accept any situation you're in and being able to work around it, work through it, work with it, that's a hard skill to cultivate and I think really defines mental toughness. You know, for, for coaches that are listening in, yeah, everybody kind of has a different voice. So, you know, from the, the peak performance coaching side, someone's voice may resonate a little bit better than other, other voices. Um, can you talk about that a little bit as well? Like, you know, there's some different voices for, for different people out there as well. Completely. And uh, we talk about this often because we like to educate our staff, not just our players, um, that it doesn't always have to come from us. We aren't always the person to deliver the message. 
and vice versa. And so we collaborate with our staff members all the time. And I think you can really answer that question of whose voice is going to be good for a situation the more you know the player. Um, you know, because sometimes, you know, there's the science behind things that stick in our brain. And when you hear the same thing over and over and over again, it doesn't tend to have the same impact. And so one thing that we do know is let's say this coach has been, you know, working with this player time and time and time again, and he feels like it's just not getting through to him. That might be a good, uh, a good moment to think, okay, maybe having another voice um, be a part of this conversation could really be impactful. And, um, and we take that in, into consideration a lot because shoot, if we are doing the group sessions and then we're also meeting individually, it might also be good to send that same message just from a different a different person to really solidify and support what we're working through. So yeah, I think that's really important, but I think the better you know the player and the better you'll be able to make that choice and that decision. You talked about your your incoming Yankees off air. Have you had many conversations with those guys and and how many of those guys have been introduced to the mental to peak performance and mental aspects? Um, uh, let's see. I have talked to a couple of them, but um in terms of I, I can't really speak for this group. I know our other, um, my associate director has been in contact with them. I haven't um, had my conversations with them quite yet. Um, but that is one of the first questions we ask is what is your experience? And the reason why that's so important is because while most people have wonderful experiences, you know, there are some that don't have any, and then there are some that have had really bad ones. And I think that's really important to acknowledge because if we ignored that, we could be teaching or going into something that was a really bad experience for them. There are some guys that have terrible experiences with mindfulness exactly, and, and breathing exercises. And so I know that's not where I'm starting with that guy. I'm going to start with something different. Um, and so I think it's really important to do that because we don't want to make the same mistakes and we want to make sure they have a great experience. And, um, and some of them don't even want to meet with us because of their past experiences. And so we have to build that trust. And sometimes that has nothing to do with mental toughness. Well, just get to know that player. We'll sit down with them. We'll chat with them and just learn about them. And to some point they go, okay, I, I'm tr I trust you. And then we're able to really dig into that other side. Well, that's where peer groups come into play too, because you have someone in your peer group that's coming to see you that has had a positive experience. You're going to have some other people reach out to you. Cause like, Hey, I talked to so-and-so said you really helped with this situation and I I'm struggling right now. Like they're, Peer groups mean a lot, especially in the competitive environment. Your peer group, uh, you're going to hear a lot word of mouth and within your peer group. Just like with coaches, you're going to hear a lot within your peer group. Um, so you're going to pick up things by word of mouth, and you're going to reach out to people because of word of mouth stuff as well. Yes, exactly. With your current Yankees, what were you having them focus on during the quarantine? Um, at the very beginning, it was more of like well-being. It was like checking in, how are you doing? transitioning back home. Um, and now it's kind of shifted to, all right, what does it look like now? And so we're transitioning back. Now we do know that athletes are not good without a goal <laughs> or without a, a vision or a direction to go in. And so even for our minor league guys, where we don't quite know what's going to, what everything's going to look like yet, it's, um, it's creating that vision for them. It's creating, okay, what are, what are we going to be working towards? What is the direction? and all of these things. And um, so, yeah, it just, it's, it's now a transition phase into, okay, how are we going to, if it, if it looks like this, 
what is that going to look like? If it looks like this, so we're going through a lot of different scenarios right now um, because we don't really, you know, nobody's done this before. This has never happened before. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get ahead of where we currently are and go, okay, how are we going to uh, work through these things? But our guys have been so resilient, so incredible, because one of the things we preach to them is don't ask, don't underestimate your ability to improve during this time. And so we kind of work through like, how can you be improving? Um, you know, some guys at first, they didn't have access to weights. Okay. What's the next best thing? What can we still be doing? Um, instead of that. Okay. Some guys didn't have somewhere to throw. All right. What is the next best thing? What can we be doing? And so we were able to kind of, uh, you know, work through certain scenarios and certain things with each individual based on kind of the situation that they're in. You deal with so many players. You're dealing with not just professional teams. You're dealing with, with amateur teams as well. How do you keep everything organized? So this is just a personal professional question. How are you note-taking? How are you organizing? You know, when you do have a session with a player, how are you organizing all of your thoughts? Uh, well, me, I journal like crazy. And so personally, I am taking notes on everything. And I'm a very like tactile person. So I, I write it, everything down. Granted, then I also have an electric copy where I am keeping tabs on that. And Where do you I'm, store all that information? Like Excel. Like it's so you use an Excel. It's not yeah, it's and, and everybody uses something different, but um, you can use Excel, you can use OneNote. There's a lot of different yeah. ways that you can use it, and then it you can put throw it on like a you know a a, a what am I trying to think of? Oh, a, I, like a cloud platform where it can be accessed by other people. And but to me, uh, you know, I like to keep mine all to my like you know we share them throughout our department, but it's very like secure because that's not something we want to get For out. For sure. Um, however, um, we don't put anything. Um, and like confidential on there for that reason, but it's more so notes for like, when did I check in with this person last? Um, so that I can check in again, what was the topic we were talking about? Okay. And so it just becomes more of like a checks and balances. Like, okay, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. I want to make sure that I reach out to him, um, and just, you know, check back or, Hey, this guy, we talked about doing this. So I want to make sure next week I'm following up and seeing how he's doing with that. Say you're working with a, a youth player or coach or parent, where's the first place that they should start if they're looking into peak performance stuff? Hmm. So if there's a parent or player, one, there's a couple of books. Um, and I actually have it. It's um, on both of my Instagram and my Twitter. I have a link underneath. And there's I have a book list on Amazon. And so there's a bunch of different books that I'd recommend or I, I would read. So I would say that's a really great place to start to kind of educate yourself there. Um, but I also think um, knowing what you want out of it is important to know because sometimes people will call me and I'm like, ah, that's a little bit more clinical than what I do. And so the difference obviously being that I'm working with like what we call like, like soft skills or like surface skills that are more like focus, like confidence, um, uh, you know, goal setting, all these kinds of things where clinical in nature is going a little bit deeper on like the um, clinical disorder side where I'm not doing, I'm not working with clinical disorders. And so um, I think it kind of depends on what you're looking for, um, but then also reach out to somebody in the field. There's no better person to talk to about this than somebody that is currently working in it because they can tell you what to look for in a coach, who's going to be a good fit. You, our field is really, really small. And so I get people all the time reaching out like, Hey, could you work with my son or daughter? And I'm like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have, the, I'm not taking on clients. However, this person would be wonderful to work with. So even if you don't think that person can work with your son or daughter or with you, 
don't be afraid to reach out because they've got a network and they'll be able to then, you know, direct you to somebody that they think would be a, a good fit. Champion's Mind by Jim Aframow was one of our team books, but he has a, a young Champion's Mind version. So he has a, a youth version of Champion's Mind. I, I liked that book was good for team settings, um, easily digestible. And, um, you know, guys, you deal with guys that don't want to read. So I love reading, but you know, a lot of your guys audio don't, books. they don't, yes, audiobooks, but those were easily digestible chapters where we could crank out one a week uh, throughout the fall semester. Um, it made it, it made it easily digestible for guys, even if they didn't want to read. So, but I think part I of that too, is finding stuff that they're interested in. Um, people tell you they don't like to read. They just really haven't found probably anything they're that interested in reading. I actually would highly recommend, um, Parent Pep Talks for Parents. Love it. Uh, by Justin Sua. That's one of his books. I, it's really easy to understand. Um, it's awesome. I like it for parents. And then also um, any of Ryan Holiday's books, yeah. um, The Obstacles the Way, Ego is the Enemy. Um, all of those are really, really great ones. And those are really short chapters. So they're really easy reads in that way. And then I always recommend Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, one of my absolute Love favorites. It. My husband has listened to it probably 15 times around on Audible. <laughs> um, so, and I can always tell when he's do when he's listening to it because he's getting up at like 4 a.m. and <laughs> exactly. Savage. But the but, month yeah, the month Seal lived in my house is a hilarious book. That book about Goggins living with Jesse Eisen's. Mm -hmm. Is hilarious. I have not read that yet. Uh, I would highly recommend it because he lays the whole training log out. Like he he lays out what he had to do each day, what Goggins was making him do each day, and talk about not trying to eat the whole elephant. But it's amazing, like what he got to the last day of training and where he started. And I also hear Ryan Holiday's voice every morning because the Daily Stoic podcast is is one of the things that I do when I warm up in the morning because it's only two or three minutes and kind of gets me my mind right for the day with the stories that he tells on the, the daily stoic. Yeah. Yeah. Love him. He's, he's really, really great. And I love stoicism and, um, all of those things. I think it just really works well as a foundation for acceptance. Um, and no matter what situation that we're in. Do you have any fail forward moments? Do you have something that maybe you thought was going to be detrimental to you that ended up being a huge positive? Yeah. Uh, I have many of those, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to this one. Um, it was actually kind of what got me started um, trending in the direction towards the Yankees. And it was, I got out of grad school and I had two job opportunities um, and it took a while. I had one from IMG and then I had one from the army and I decided to go with the army one. And um, it was hard to tell IMG no, because those are my people. But um, for the army job, they said, you know, we're going to, we're not gonna be able to place you for another six months, which is actually pretty typical for this job. So I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And I was like, what the heck? Like people I know that had got the same position in different places were getting placed. So I was like, huh? So I reach out and I'm like, Hey, just, you know, wondering, am I going to get my placement soon? And I get an email back and they say, sorry, the job's no longer available. And I was devastated here. I was out of grad school with two job offers on the table. And now I had none. And there, it's not like there's sports psych jobs just hanging out on every corner. You can't go to like indeed.com and type in sports psychology. So I was, there was nothing available. So I knew I wanted to work in the MLB. That was kind of like a far off goal, but I was like, you know what, like we should probably do something about that. But in the meantime, I decided, you know what, let's just get a job to make some sort of money in the meantime to figure out what I was doing. So I started working at Starbucks 
I can make a, make a mean latte um, as a result. Can you of do it, the however, designs? Can you? Can you do? Some, no, I can't. I can't even. I, I was like, I was I'm so jealous of like when when it comes out and it's got like a leaf or whatever in it. Like I'm jealous of people that can do that. Like that's. I've done it once on accident, so I can't even say that. The answer is no. If I tried, probably not. But um, but we have a latte maker here, so I'm like, see, it paid off. Um, but anyway, so I'm one day I'm working in the drive-through, and like it, my whole life changed after this day. Working in the drive-through, and um, one one of your jobs in the drive-through is to entertain the customer while their drinks being made. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like chatting with this guy, and he's like, so like, would you are you working towards a degree? Um, which was normal because most people were in school, but I was like, oh, I actually just finished mine. And he's like, oh, like in what? I was like, oh, I got my master's in performance psychology. And he starts laughing at me, like full on belly laughing. And I was so confused that I finally asked him, I was like, what's so funny? He's like, you got one of those degrees you're never going to use. And my mouth was like, it just dropped. I wanted to jump out of that drive-through window, but you know, I'll proudly tell you I did not. And that whole night, my, I was just ruminating about it. I was so pissed off. I'm like, this is rude. This isn't okay. And, but I was like, this guy doesn't matter. Like, you don't even know who this person is. Like, why are you letting this get to you so much? And I finally had like this epiphany. I said, because he's right. I am not doing anything towards my degree. I am settling. I am sitting here. I'm just, I'm comfortable. And I realized that day, like, that's why it pissed me off. Not because he was rude, but because he was right. And so that day I Googled how to start your own consulting company. And that was the day I started my consulting company at the time, which was LA Mental Performance. And I used that consulting gig to build a resume to work in baseball. And after a year of doing that, I got the opportunity with the Yankees. And so I, to this day, I thank that guy in the drive-thru I know he was rude, but I don't know if anything else would have really got my attention. And so I'm really thankful for that. What's your favorite Reggie Christensen story? Oh, I love Mr. Reggie Christensen. Actually, this is a really funny story. He, we have a couple mutual friends out just outside of baseball. And, uh, and we were, anyway, it was one day after we were done, we were done a meeting with the team. And I, I, uh, I texted, I te- well, I was texting my husband. I was like, Hey babe, and I accidentally sent it to Reggie and Reggie's like, I, I think this is sent to the wrong person. And I was like, Oh, so now he gives me crap for it. Anytime I said, Hey babe, but she meant to send it to her husband. And so it was like this big joke between us now. So I, I love that guy because there's nobody that loves and cares for their players more than Reggie Christensen. He, he sent me a message, um, you know, when they were in the playoffs, I realized, because I always thought mental performance was important, but now I really believe that it is a game changer and a separator for our guys because I see it in our players every single day. And so I think it's really cool. He just has a way of bringing people together and he cares about his people. And it's so it's so apparent to see that's why he's been so successful with his athletes. Yeah, we have we have quite a few underrated coaches at the division one, all college and high school levels. But he's one of the guys out there that I think is very underrated. They're successful every year. He's done a great job. They don't have some of the resources that some of the bigger schools have, but he finds ways to field competitive teams every year. Well, sorry. Last thing I'll say about Reggie no. is like talk about a stoic. Like 
that guy, he, he, he says very few words, but when he does, they're impactful. And I think there's something to say when you're a head coach and you trust the people around you to say all the things that should be said. And then you step in just when it's needed. And it's so powerful. Do you have any evening or morning routines that you stick to every day that help you? You're in a, you know, you're in a high pressure job. You deal with a lot of professional athletes. Do you have anything that you like that kind of keeps you where you need to be? Yeah. So I have two routines, one at night. Um, and at night I write down five things I want to get done the next day and I write them in order of priority. So I need, this is first priority, second, third, fourth, fifth, and I'll add some ones on the bottom. Like if I have time, I can get to these, but I try and stick to five and, um, and I don't go to number two until I finish number one and so on throughout the list. It helps me stay really focused and organized because I can tend to, uh, I'm a big picture thinker. So I can tend to think of a lot of things at once. And sometimes I need help with zeroing my focus. So that helps me. And then in the morning, I always start by, um, by reading and meditating. So I'll come and I'll listen to an audiobook or I'll, or I'll crack open a physical book for, and I'll put a timer on my phone for 20 minutes. Then if I want to continue reading after that 20 minutes, I'll continue. But, um, I, my minimum is I read for 20 minutes every day. I journal and then I med meditate for 10 minutes. Your meditation, is it guided or is it self self meditation? I do both. Um, I've really gotten into the calm app though lately. So that's, I've done a lot of guided meditation. Um, but actually before I got into the calm app, it was all, I kind of just did it myself. I would do kind of just like some, some breathing exercises and focusing on my breathing and bringing it back when my mind would kind of drift. But um, recently I've been doing a lot of these guided meditations and they've been really helpful. Before I let you go, what are some final thoughts? Some final thoughts. I think the one thing that people underestimate about mental toughness is that they think of it as this big picture, right? It's this like big thought, like, oh, well, you either have it or you don't. And I think the important thing about mental toughness is it's doing the little things consistently on a daily basis and everybody it's available to everyone being, being the best version of you being uh, extremely mentally tough. We think of like Tiger Woods, we think of, you know, Derek Jeter, we think of um, MJ and we think, oh man, it's, it's, it's only reserved for those select few, but that's not true. All of these tools and all of the things that they do on a daily basis are available to each and every one of us. And depending on what your domain is, it's going to look different, but every single one of us has the ability to live the life that we want. And it doesn't have to be these big grandiose acts, but these little things done consistently on a daily basis. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Best of luck with the season started. I'm excited for everybody that they get to get going now. Oh, me too. And I'm sure for, I'm so excited for them. This is amazing. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. I appreciate it, Lauren. I had a lot of fun with Lauren on this one. Um, she's very engaging and I picked up a lot of tips and then hopefully you got some tips as well to help. I want to make sure we touched on the subject of when to have your players reach out to a mental health professional. Uh, it can be a tough subject to approach with your players or anyone that you have a relationship with. It can be a challenging issue to tackle and uh, that conversation you have with someone may be the difference in them staying alive. I've dealt with the issue professionally and personally. Feel free to reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org if you need help or tips on broaching the subject with the people around you. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you.
I do 